Hi, I'm Susanna. Um, I'm very happy to be here and to be part of this IDA family. Um, I was asked to speak on a, you know, a, on a step, and they gave me several choices, and I chose step nine. And the reason why I chose it because I've always hated it. I mean, I, <laughs> I just have, from the moment I first read the steps, and I saw that one, I'm thinking, okay. That one's not a good one. You know, I'm going to have to apologize. You know, that's what it sounds like to me. And uh, that's like one of my least favorite things in the world. So, um, I, uh, you know, like I said, I, I hate apologizing because to me that meant that I had to admit I was not perfect. And, you know, I obviously nobody thought I was perfect, but I wanted people to think so. And I didn't ever want to admit that I did anything wrong or made mistakes or or anything of that sort. Now, my perfectionism was not like the kind that made me try and do things perfectly or, you know, um, you know, I mean, my perfectionism was like the kind that I wanted you to think I was perfect, you know, not that I actually tried to be perfect. So it's like, you know, like if somebody came over to the house to visit and I wanted them to think I was a perfect housewife, I wasn't about to clean the house, you know, perfectly, I just would sweep things under the rug and put the clutter away and like, okay, I'm perfect, you know, that's the kind of, of uh, foolishness that I was into. But, um, you know, I love step one, two, and three, and, you know, I even didn't mind step five, you know, admitting to somebody else the nature of my wrongs, because I didn't have to admit them to the person I had done them, you know, that my sponsor was not the one I had harmed, so it didn't matter. So to me, you know, step nine meant apologizing, and I didn't like it. Well, I went to the dictionary, and I went to see, okay, what does amends really mean? And I found out that it's a fourth century French word, amender, that means reparation or compensation for a loss or injury. So now, the you know, the definition now is like to make better by some change, to correct errors, rectify, to improve one's conduct, reform oneself, basically to set things right. So, you know, never, I mean, I didn't read any place in the dictionary where it said amends meant to apologize. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's, <laughs> that sounds better now. But <laughs> now the, the question is like, how do we make amends? Well, you know, it all depends what you're making amends for. But I think first of all, you have to be, um, your higher power has to help you to become humble enough, you know, to, to be ready for that. And when I was making, you know, state paid and, and making a, a list, um, I, I had to become ready to, you know, to admit my mistake. So it took me a while. I stayed in state eight, step eight for a long time until I was actually thinking, okay, I'm ready to do step nine. But I think, you know, by the grace of God, I got some humility and started to, because I couldn't even find people, you know, I couldn't make a list. I'm like, no, I have done no harm. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, everything's fine. So, you know, I tended to, um, like minimize, justify, rationalize anything that I had made so I could convince myself, you know, that no, no, you know, it wasn't my fault or I didn't harm people or whatever. But, you know, once I started making the list, this was a, you know, I mean, I really, there weren't that many people, but, you know, it's like it's always the people, in, you know, that you love the most that you can hurt the most. So I think once you're ready, you know, it's like you're ready to make amends, your higher power will, you know, give you the opportunity to do this. And, um, you know, that, that happened in my case. But uh, the purpose of making amends is to gain peace of mind, you know, for ourselves by erasing our feelings of guilt. That's like the main 
reason for doing this. And of course, to repair, you know, relationships that you, you know, you messed up with. Um, now, it, you know, our literature says that we also have to be careful. We aren't trying to achieve personal serenity at the expense of someone else. And I think that's uh, something that happens often because like, I've heard several women uh, talk about how their husbands had affairs and then told them about them in every little detail. You know, like too much information, you know, like that they really didn't want to know that, you know. And so, of course, the guys are like, oh, you know, feeling great that, you know, their guilt is gone. But I mean, what about the women? So, I mean, that's, I think, achieving, you know, your serenity um, at the expense of someone else. So that's not, you know, that's not what this is about. So we do have to be careful, you know, how we make amends. Because, you know, step nine says, make direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So, you know, that that's, uh, we have to really take um, care of not to injure people more when you're making amends. Now, how do we make amends? It says in the book to make amends one person an event at a time. And it says to make three lists, you know, to make a list of the people you see regularly that you can make amends, you know, immediately, you know, whenever. And another one of people you see once in a while, so once the opportunity comes and you can, you know, when the opportunity arises, you can make the amends. And then there's those, you know, you put on the list people that have died or that are, you know, you are not in touch with, so you really can't do, a, you know, a direct amend there. But, um, you know, the, uh, there's different types of amends, like financial amends are probably the more straightforward. straightforward. I mean, you just... You know, you can pay people back for if you owe them money or, you know, destroy the property or something, you know, that that's that's pretty straightforward. But I think a lot of the, you know, the most difficult amends are where you actually just have to change your behavior and uh, or your attitude, you know, or, or you have to stop doing something that you're still doing that you know is wrong. And, you know... And of course, a lot of them just means that you really do have to apologize. You know, like <laughs> you can't get away from the apologizing because you know that's what a lot of people just need. You know, to be validated that okay, you you know, you did harm them, and and that was it. Now, the key is not to avoid making amends in order to spare ourselves discomfort, because that will only increase our our guilt and prevent us from healing. So, you know, we we have to remember that. Now, in you know, in my case, I said I. I tended to minimize, to justify, to rationalize everything. And it was very hard for me to, you know, to just get into the, into the idea of being, you know, humble. When I finally, you know, did start thinking about the people I had harmed, you know, the people in my family that I had harmed the most was with my, I was very judgmental. You know, it's like I thought I was perfect and I could tell everybody how to do their, you know, do things. And if they would just do it my way, they would have, you know, been doing everything right and now like my mother for example i i have a a great relationship with my mother and she was an excellent parent yet i was always criticizing her because she was very overprotective and that oh you didn't let me you know go to sleep hours when i was a kid and you did you know it's like silly things that you know i see other people that were abused so badly and i'm like complaining oh well you never let me go to sleep hours you know like um so when it was a couple of years ago she turned 75 and she was having this big party and i was you know I bought her a present and I think you know that's sort of not enough and I thought okay I'll write her a letter so I wrote her this long letter you know uh, thanking her for you know being such a, a good parent and letting her know that you know when I had criticized her it was you know I was totally wrong in doing that because she, I mean she had been 
you know, she was protecting me. And I, you know, I never suffered from any kind of abuse or anything while I was in her care. So I guess she did a good job, you know. <laughs> so I shouldn't complain. But um, I gave her this, this, you know, this nice letter. And I didn't give it to her during the party where everybody gave the presents. You know, I gave it to her later when we were at home. And so I figured, you know, so she was reading it, and then she goes, oh, let me go show it to your dad. She goes and reads it to dad, and they're like, they have tears in their eyes. And I figure, well, okay, so that went well. Well, I live about six hours from where uh, from where she lives, and once I was back home, <laughs> she was telling me once, oh, I, you know, it's like your letter that I read it, you know, to the neighbors to the, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, she was telling me she was reading it to everybody. And like the, you know, compadre, I mean, it was like, I was just thinking, I mean, mom, you know, I thought that was like a personal thing. You know, I saw her read it to my dad and I figured, well, my dad, you know, that's fine. But it's like, <laughs> I mean, at that point, I sort of felt like violated. I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. I didn't really see anything personal about me. I was really saying something about her. And, and, you know, she thought it was like, you know, this shows like a diploma. I'm a good mom, you know, basically. So she was so happy that I figured, okay, it's it's worth it. You know, she's going to to feel so good about it. So I made my amends there, and I I felt good about that. But now, you know, that was an easy kind of amend. You know, now my with my children, for example, it's really hard to make amends with them because I my perfectionism. You know, that I wanted you to think I was perfect. Also, I wanted you to think my kids were perfect. So. When, you know, I had two kids and I, I mean, I don't know how I did it now, but I had them, they behaved like little soldiers. You know, I could take them to the opera, to the ballet, any place when they were preschoolers and they would sit and not move. You know, it's like they would, I could take them anywhere, you know, to the finest restaurant and they would behave. Now, um, you know, the, they, they were just what I thought, you know, that that's how they should be. But I mean, I still complained, you know, I still complain about them. And I was, you know, if they came home with like nine A's and one B, I would always say, why did you get that B? You know, you could have done, you know, worked a little harder. I never said, oh, that was great. You got nine A's. No, I always focused on the negative. And uh, I mean, I can see now how horribly harmful that is to a kid that you don't praise enough. You know, you just criticize. And I don't think there's any way to really you know, make amends for that, except like to change my behavior and start now not doing that anymore. But, you know, that that's, uh, you know, that's something that I'll regret forever. I don't know that I can really change that. Now, uh, I used to do the, you know, criticize, you know, I mean, just like to tell you how crazy I was. I had this book called Toilet Training in Less Than a Day. <laughs> and it exists. I mean, you know, people don't believe that it exists. I have a copy of it at home, so people will not think that I made it up. There was this book, you know, when my in the early 80s when my kids were growing up, and um, it worked. I mean, you know, you had to follow it to the every letter, and I did. You know, these kids were trained in four hours. You know, by noontime, they could go to the potty by themselves, and, you know, I... And I mean, it worked. And so, of course, then I, you know, I'd be so self-righteous, like seeing other kids that were three years old and not potty trained. Like, what's wrong with your kid? You know, it's like you can train them in a day. <laughs> so I mean, it's like, you know, I would criticize my sister for her kids not being. I mean, I was just like, I was perfect, you know. And so, um, th- this was funny because, like, 11 years after my uh, younger son was was born, we had the, our third child, and uh, he's nine now. And now this kid was totally different from the other ones. Plus, you know, at that point I started, like, I had realized how crazy I had been before with 
all the criticism, so I figured, okay, this kid needs more praise. And well, I think I went totally the other way because this kid, you know, not only can I not take him to an opera or to a fine establishment, I can take him to McDonald's, you know, like he doesn't behave anywhere. So I was like, okay, I really needed to find a middle ground there, and I obviously didn't, you know, like I, I went the opposite. But, um, you know, it, it's really hard for me and right now I have changed my behavior I try to you know to praise my my older kids you know and, and you know I don't know that it does any different but we have a better relationship because that I you know I have told them how you know how wrong it was of me of how I behave with them but you know that's that's fast I don't know what I can do about it now uh, my like I had a, a a sister um my younger sister that I you know it's like this is like a god thing that I never realized what I had, you know, anything about me. Basically, I had ignored her. I mean, I grew up, and I, we were three girls, and I always hung around with my older sister, and I was the middle one. And the younger one, I mean, you know, she was like a, another kid in the house, and I never paid attention to her. And I never realized this until I was, like, working, you know, the steps. And I heard her mention once that she had grown up by herself. And I'm thinking, how could you grow up by yourself? You have two sisters. And she's like, yeah, but you never did anything with me. And I'm like, you know... I, you know, and I mentioned this to my older sister. And she said, "Oh, she's crazy enough for, you know, don't pay attention." And I'm thinking, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, and so I, I just kept thinking about this. And just um, this last month, I, I was planning a trip, you know, and I wanted to go to New York. And I was thinking, okay, who can I invite my my daughter or my mom or whatever? And you know, I'm I like art museums, so I figured, you know, my mom and my and my daughter are both into art also, so they, you know, they would have been the obvious choices there. But um, then, you know, it came to me about my sister. I'm thinking, you know, I have ignored her, and she's single, and, you know, she's into cats. You know, we don't have anything in common, you know, like, uh, and I, you know, I asked her, do you, would, would you like to come with me to New York? And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, she says, I have already this week, you know, planned for vacation, and I wasn't doing anything, and, and it worked out great, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, that, that at least starts like a relationship because we basically don't have one. You know, it's like we see each other and like, hi, you know, how you doing, whatever. I mean, we have nothing in common. And I was trying to remember like what childhood memories do we have? None. I mean, I, I, could, I could remember that we would torture her, you know, like my older sister and I, you know, making fun of her toys or whatever, but I, not any good thing. So I think, okay, well, that was the start. Now we have like some good memories. We went to Broadway shows, whatever, in New York. So I, I thought that was a, a good way to... To do, make my amends to her, even though before I didn't even know I needed to make amends to her. You know, I, I hadn't noticed that. Now, uh, there's, uh, there's another, you know, uh, kind of amend where you have to change your attitude about things. Now, in my family, in my house, the only act of violence we ever had was not committed by the alcoholic. It was committed by me to a golf club. And I, I uh, had, uh, this was, you know, when the drinking was just barely getting started, you know, getting a little heavy. And my husband went uh, golfing one day, you know, and he had been golfing a lot. And I kept building this resentment that he was wasting too much time, you know, golfing and not enough time with me. Well, one day in particular, he went golfing. And we were supposed to, he was supposed to be home by noon because we were going away to the mountains with another family. And so noon time came around and this guy didn't show up, you know, and I'm like, okay, where is he? And then like this other family starts calling me like at noon and at, you know, 1230 and one and 130 and nothing, you know, and, 
And I'm thinking, you know, I, every time they called, I would get more furious that I didn't know where he was and he wouldn't, you know, he hadn't called or anything. And, you know, and they're talking, well, we're packed, you know, we're ready to go. And I'm like, well, so am I, but what, what do I do? So I look around and there's a golf club laying around. So I get the golf club and I start going crazy, hitting it against the floor, trying to break it. Well, let me tell you, those golf clubs don't break very easily. I was hitting it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is, what is this made with? And I don't know. But I was just wondering, okay, I'll just, you know, hit it with my foot until I broke it into. And, you know, for the second thing, okay, that felt great. And then I'm thinking, what the heck did I do? I mean, I'm going nuts. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes I think I have not only like a selective memory, but a protective memory. Because I can't remember like right now if I actually went and showed my husband like here are your two <laughs> pieces of golf club or if he just found them there or what. I can't even remember. But I was so embarrassed. I'm thinking, what happened to me? You know, it's like I was losing it. And for years I didn't really understand what had made me snap, you know, because... No, I mean, I never did anything like that before. But, you know, not until I've been in the program did I realize that I, I, I felt like I was losing control. You know, that I couldn't control him. He was, uh, you know, and I knew that a lot of times what happened was that, you know, the they'd play their 18 holes and, you know, the 19th hole that would stay there forever drinking. You know? So I really started resenting that. And it wasn't so much that that I hated his you know, his golfing, it was that I hated that he would do things without me and that I couldn't control what he was doing. You know, so, you know, later I realized that now, you know, like, to make amends there more than buying a golf club, which, you know, he buys all the time, you know, that's not a, that's not a big deal. I think more than buying a golf club, I, I had to change my attitude towards golf. And I actually did, you know, as I started realizing that, he didn't have that many, you know, outlets to relax and whatever. That was a, a good one. I mean, that wasn't like uh, a bad thing to do, you know, golfing. So I really started getting, you know, uh, changing my attitude where I was interested in his golfing. I even, you know, would ask him, you know, why don't you go golfing? You know, it's like it's, you know, it's good for you, whatever. So I didn't have that that uh, bad idea about golf anymore, and I never have again. And... Uh, so the the changing of attitude there was 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 more the the way that I could make amends for my for my craziness. <laughs> but um, there's you know the, the, there's like a, amends that you really can't uh, do much about. Like when I come here, like to amusement parks, like here, I I always remember this incident that I had. Also, like this was in the sixth grade, and you know this is a kind of amends where you can't you know you've lost touch with people and you can't really do much but like I, when I was in the sixth grade I you know I was best friends with this girl that was the most popular and whatever and we went we used to live in uh, go to a school in San Diego and every year we would go to Disneyland you know it was like parochial schools day whatever and so we had to go in groups of four well that day I decided that I wanted to go just me and the other girl we were too popular to hang out with anybody else we wanted to go by ourselves so we're like okay we're a little team here and so everybody starts making groups of four you know between themselves well then the 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 you know the nun comes over and says okay well where's your group of four and like oh no we're just going to be by ourselves and he says well no that's you know that's too bad you can't you know and there's these two girls that nobody basically chose for their teams they're going with you and we're like you know, the most unpopular girls in the class, obviously. So we thought that was like, you know, how dare they put them in, you know, in our group. So we get to Disneyland and like at the first opportunity that we go on a ride, 
we ditched them. I mean, we left these two girls because they were, you know, overweight, they were unpopular, whatever. And I have always felt so bad about that. I'm thinking maybe, I don't know if these girls actually even remember that we did that because they actually thought that we had uh, accidentally lost them. You know, they, they never actually realized, or at least that's what they made us think, that we had purposely left them there. So, I mean, we just went on the rides by ourselves and never remembered again that these two girls, you know, spend all the day looking for us, you know. And, I mean, how do I make amends for, you know, for doing that? You know, that, it always comes to me when I go to amusement park, like, oops, you know, like, I remember that. And, you know, this never actually bothered me. I mean, it never bothered me until my kids were that age where other kids were doing cruel things to them. You know, they were not the popular kids. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, that's how it felt for those girls, you know. And, I mean, you know, what can I do about it? The... The only thing that I realized uh, recently was that I, I've been uh, a reading tutor in my uh, son's school, usually with second graders. And this last year, the kids that were my, you know, the, the ones that I was reading with, these four kids, uh, I don't know, that it just turned out that they were like, they reminded me so much of those girls because they were like overweight, they were like not the most popular kids in the class. And I thought, you know, th- this is like a way of making a mess of them because I really started, you know, hanging out with them and you know you'd think that the other kids if they knew that they were the ones that reading that needed the reading tutors would sort of you know shun them or something but it's funny because they're second graders so they're not that you know that uh, old enough that actually the other kids when I come to read with them are like can you read with me can you and I'm like and the teacher no no only the ones that I chose can you know can read with me. so actually they would like to be in the place of those kids you know, I, I thought it was strange, but you know, and I'll give him stickers, and I'll, you know, I, one time I, you know, like I like to draw, so I, I drew like a little portrait that oh, they thought that was great, you know, and the other kids like we want to be, you know, with it. So thinking, you know, that that's a way that at least I'm making some amends with kids that are not popular, that I'm I'm helping them a little, you know. I mean, that's my way of seeing it. But um, you know, the, there's you know, the, there's a lot of of ways of of making amends and you know a lot of it has to do with you know with us realizing who we have harmed and you know being willing to uh you know to verbalize our our regrets about what we have done and like like I said with my kids you know I've I've able to I've been able to do it you know verbally and I've written them letters and I try to change my attitude sometimes it might not be enough you know that that's what I see but uh it says here, uh, when we realize how we have hurt others and make amends, we're taking another step toward healing ourselves. Because we learn to forgive ourselves when we realize growth is a gradual process. And I think that's, you know, the thing I have to remember, that growth is a gradual process. And I have to forgive myself, too, for, you know, for the for the mistakes I made. And, you know, the way to make amends to myself is to just, you know, keep working this program and to... You know, to forgive myself because I, at the time when I made a lot of mistakes, I really didn't know that I was, you know, harming anybody. And, uh, you know, I just have to be, uh, you know, patient with myself and keep working the program and the process, you know, helps me to grow. So thank you anyway, everybody for listening. Hello, my name is Joan Larson and I am a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. You know, what I know is that I can't have a more loving group of people to to share with today. And yet I'm still nervous. <laughs> hmm. I took a tip from uh, May, 
who uh, I was blessed to hear share her story. Um, she lost her place, and so I numbered my cards. <laughs> Proof again that I am teachable. <laughs> and the funny thing was that walking down the hall from my room this morning, I dropped my book and all my papers flew. <laughs> so, you know, it's amazing. Um, I'd like to share just a little bit about my story, if I may. And um, um, I, I did attend my first meeting on my belly button birthday in 1991. Uh, it was the day after I'd put my husband on a plane to fly to Atlanta uh, to TRC to um, go to what I thought originally was supposed to be three months and then was told it would be four months and then was told it was five months. And I was very grateful to get him back after just five months. Um, I went to that first meeting and I was numb. I, I, I felt just absolutely frozen. And I remember sitting there against the wall and um, listening to people. And I know very little of what they said. But I remember that there was this feeling in the room and that I heard laughter and uh, I remember going home and thinking that um, I had finally found some place that I truly belonged. And I'd never really ever been anywhere where I truly felt like I belonged. And so I went back. And at first I just went to one meeting a week. And after several months I picked up a second meeting and then kind of settled out at three meetings a week. And that was okay for me for a while. Um, when I went to that, after the first meeting that I went to, the second meeting I cried. And I cried for um, what seemed like weeks through meetings because um, it wasn't okay for me to cry at home where my children could see me because I needed to be strong for them. And, um, and what I loved about Al-Anon is that they didn't shove Kleenex boxes at me. And they didn't... Um, they didn't do anything that said, your tears are not acceptable here. And I have a lot of gratitude for that because I had to cry as much as I needed to cry so that I could just get that out. And uh, I still cry in meetings sometimes, but um, they don't refer to me as that weepy woman anymore. <laughs> they, they talk about my laugh, and I do laugh a lot, and I love to laugh in Al-Anon. Um, let's see. Um, I went through three sponsors in my first year in Al-Anon. Um, I ran into the woman that I asked to sponsor me the first time um, many years later, and she asked me if I still went to Al-Anon. And I told her, yes, that my life depends upon it, and I believe that today. And I asked her if she still goes to Al-Anon, and she said, oh, no, no. And what I had was a whole lot of gratitude for the fact that she was there to give me what she could give me when I was new. And um, I try and remember that, that, that um, you never know what will be a benefit to other people. Um, goodness. Um, uh, my parents confronted me early on while I was working my program 
because I'd asked them to take my uh, middle son, Logan, to a birthday party uh, so that I could go to my meeting, uh, that, that first meeting that I went to, because I tried to go to it every week. And uh, they came home, brought him home. They were so angry. Um, and um, they told me that I should have been there, that all the parents were there, and that I should have been there. And they didn't understand why I needed to go to these meetings because they didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. And I told them that my life had been affected as a result of living with active addiction, with alcoholism and drug addiction, and that um, that they could go to meetings, that they could go to a meeting with me sometime. And my mother swore that she'd never go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I told her that was okay. Um, She's the primary untreated codependent in my life. <laughs> and, and I adore her dearly. She is a wonderful, wonderful woman. And, and she always gets upset when I'll say these little, you know, these little slogans I'll throw out. <laughs> but anyway, um, she's, her life's been affected by alcoholism, by the alcoholism of, um, family members. Um, when I went to when I went to meetings um, and looked at step one, um, I didn't think my life was unmanageable. I thought that it was unbearable. And when I got here, I I truly couldn't stand to look at myself in the mirror because when I did, I saw all the lies and all the insanity. And it's amazing what you can do without looking in the mirror. <laughs> You know, you can brush your teeth <laughs> and comb your hair without looking in the mirror. And I did that for a while. Um, when I got to step two, um, I learned that I needed to fire God. The God of my understanding at that point was the God that was given to me in religion. And uh, I knew that because I had done things that were wrong and knew they were wrong but did them anyway, that um, that was an unforgivable thing. And uh, so, and I came to the program and was told that it was okay for me to get a higher power, uh, a power of my understanding. And so I fired the um, the God that I came with, and I adopted um, and and desire to seek a relationship with the God of my understanding that um, that I want to be an active participant in today. And. Uh, it's such a cool thing. Uh, I'm not quite sure when it happened, but at some point I started getting up in the morning and and talking to God when I first got up and walked to the bathroom. And, and God and I would talk. And, and it was such a comfort to me to know that I didn't have to do this deal alone, that, that my higher power truly loved me and adored me and thought I was wonderful. You know, warts and all. And um, and the challenge then was for me to understand that um, that I had to figure out how to how to forgive myself. And uh, the thing that I hold on to is that um, that people in my life do the best that they can, and that I do the best that I can. And uh, and I, I hang on to the understanding that all of us are perfectly imperfect, just the way our higher power intends for us to be. And that it's 
that it's kind of grossly inappropriate for me to believe that I know better than God how anybody should be, myself included. Um, so anyway, I fired that God and uh, and uh, turned to step three of turning my will and my life over, and um, and and understanding that I didn't like the life that I had when I got to Al-Anon. So I wanted to be different, and in order to be different, I couldn't do it by myself, but my higher power could do it for me. And uh, and I kind of coasted on uh, step three for a while, and then I got to step four, and I decided that I um, I decided to give myself six months to do the perfect first step. And and then wondered why I got into a whole lot of pain and perfectionism, and um, and I remember going to going to a speaker meeting and the the topic was the fourth step, going out to lunch with those ladies afterwards, and having them um, ask me how long it would take for me to to have it ready so that I could do take my fifth step. I said, you know, if I really worked at it, I could have it done in a week or two at, at the most. And they said, fine, make your appointment to give your fifth step. And I did that. And there's a page in um, Courage to Change where it talks about writing up to the very last minute before the person goes. And that was me. Um, um, I'm grateful today that we have uh, a lot of, of wonderful tools um, for for doing um, for doing a fourth step, and and that's a cool thing. Um, you know, my fifth step just blew me away. Um, uh, it was the most honest I'd ever been with anybody, and uh, and it was huge. And I came away from that with this wonderful uh, pink cloud of finally feeling like I truly belonged in Al-Anon. That I wasn't like faking it, <laughs> and and that was a wonderful thing. <laughs> I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I did suffer from uh, perfectionism, and uh, that um, that that it was a form of self abuse. Um, I learned that uh, that I truly was a, a control freak, and I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, I, I discovered I'm a chaos junkie. Um, so, so I used to say I'm a uh, I'm a recovered chaos junkie. My husband suggested I say that I'm a recovering chaos junkie. <laughs> um, so sweet of him to point that out for me. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I was entirely ready to be different in step six. Um, entirely ready. I was sick and tired of being the way that I was, and I knew that if I kept doing what I was doing, uh, being the way that I was, that I'd kept getting what I was getting, and and I wanted to get something different. Um, I I was kind of disappointed when I took step six that the you know scales didn't fall from my eyes and <laughs> that, it, that there was not this miraculous you know transformation but um but i studied step 7 and and uh realized that i didn't have enough humility and so um so that's been uh something for me to work on um i made 
uh, an eight-step list after quite a while. And that um, the best thing that I can say about working step eight was that um, that I got into some self-abuse because I didn't want to put it down on paper. Um, and when I finally understood that I just had to write it down instead of having this running list in my head, that um, that was a godsend. That was truly God working in my life. Um, after meeting with my uh, sponsor and showing her my eight-step list, she assured me that there were several people I needed to cross off because I wasn't nearly as important as I thought I was. And... Um, and that was beneficial. I went home from um, from seeing her and uh, made my first amends to my husband uh, for a secret that I had kept uh, for uh, a lie that I had told him uh, in recovery. I was still telling lies, and that was a problem for me. Uh, I can't st- I, I, I can't be dishonest uh, to others and and be in conscious contact with the God of my understanding today. Um, that's one of the ways that my ism, my codependency, will um, will uh, screw me around and 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 keep me sick. I, I believe that my disease, my Alanonism, my codependency, has a vested interest in my feeling bad about myself, and um, and it's a struggle to uh, own that I'm right where I'm supposed to be right where my higher power intends me to be, and that my challenge is to try uh, to love myself the way my higher pa- the way I believe my higher power loves me, the way that I think uh, our higher power loves all of us. Um, step 10 um, is, I, I like to think of it as a growth step and not as a maintenance step. Um, I've had some recent events that really brought Step um, Step 10 home to me. Um, I had um, one day I went to the store and I had somebody call me on my cell phone and I'm talking to them. I hopped out of the car and went in and was was getting the stuff that I needed to get. I hung up from that call, got another call, talked to them, went outside and I, I was searching around in my purse trying to find my keys and I couldn't find my keys and that alarmed me and I walked over to my car and I discovered that uh, it was running and the first thought that hit me was you know I don't have to tell Gary this nobody needs to know and that's my first thought even in um, you know, even uh, in my 13th year of recovery. And Al- <laughs> but that's my disease that wants me to believe that it's okay to keep secrets, that it's okay to pretend that I don't make mistakes today, which is just insane. But I didn't stay with, I forgot my keys in the car, thank God somebody didn't steal it. <laughs> No, I didn't stay with that. I, I went to, oh, my God, I must have Alzheimer. They're going to lock me up. <laughs> you know, there's no hope. <laughs> and that's where my disease will take me today. I don't stay in today when I get scared. I go 10, 15, 20 years from now. And it's never, you know, it's never pretty. It's always doom and gloom. 
that's that's sad, but that's the way I am. And the good news is that Al-Anon gives me hope because it helps make me aware of the fact that um, that I don't have to be crazy today <laughs> and that I don't have to believe what I think. And that's a wonderful thing <laughs> if you think the way I think. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened to me was that um, was that I went to a funeral. Um, Harold Teeson, who uh, was the director of the um, Oklahoma State um, Physician Recovery Program, uh, passed away a week ago Monday. And he was a dear soul. When um, when my husband relapsed, um, he was somebody that I could call that would pay attention to me. Um, the first time I had when that happened I had called my husband's sponsor and he basically brushed me off so having Harold be so kind and loving and assuring that that he would get to the bottom of it was uh, a wonderful comfort to me Um, he died suddenly of a heart attack that Monday morning and they had the funeral on Wednesday and I went and um his former PA um, had, for a brief period of time, been a sponsee of mine in Al-Anon. And uh, um, as it happened, um, at the funeral, I was placed on the row that was uh, just down from um, Gary's former sponsor, the one who brushed me off. <laughs> well, um, we sat there. And, and um, um, this PA come, came in, and, and she, um, she didn't look at me. And uh, I didn't say anything to her, and she walked right in front of us and went and sat down. And what I realized was uh, that maybe she still had some resentment about me. I had uh, invited her to uh, um, a get-together uh, an event that was uh, at the local Omniplex and and um, then I ended up being like 45 minutes late and because she didn't know anybody she bailed on us and, and left before we got there and I had made amends to her at the time for kind of standing her up and um, but what I realized as a result of the discomfort that I felt from you know basically being snubbed by her was that uh, that I was really sad, and there was a part of me, which is you know the sick part of me, that wanted to go up and apologize to her for the fact that she didn't like me. <laughs> and I talked with my sponsor about it, and said you know the other part was wanting to go and say, you know, do I owe you? Is there anything that I can do? You know, do you want to tell me what you're what you're upset with me about? And, and my sponsor kind of shook her head and said, oh, no, <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> um, you know, maybe she'll want to someday talk to me about it, but I don't get to choose. And, um, and, and what I do get to do is I get to pray for her. And I get to pray for myself, for forgiveness, for the mistakes that I made. But the interesting thing that happened as a result of this, and, and time is an issue with me. I'm, I'm, perpetually late I uh, 
I like to have this mind thing go on where I think I'm superwoman and that I can get from point A to point B and half the time it takes a mere mortal. <laughs> so um, the interesting thing that happened, though, was that in reflecting on this and doing a tenth step uh, about about the funeral, and funerals always raise up in me lots of emotions because they're unpleasant facts of life. Everybody has to die. You know, my response was to say, my response was to say that um, I wanted to write out how I how I want my funeral to go. <laughs> it's just a little control issue, but I think that. <laughs> and I I spoke with my sponsor about this, and she, I said, I know I'm terribly controlling that that's my response to a funeral, and and she told me that uh, no, you know that maybe I should do that that it's a comfort to family members when they've lost a loved one to not have to do all of that planning. That's why I love having a sponsor, because she can give me a different perspective. I was kind of beaten up on myself for being such a control freak that I want to orchestrate my own funeral. So anyway, um, when I did Step 10 that night, I journaled, which is something that I don't routinely do, I have routinely done it in the past, but it's not currently a um, part of of my routine. Um, I journaled a lot to to get the feelings out, and and I know I need to do that regularly. I just need to own that these are the feelings that they may not make sense, but it is how I feel. And um, and the other thing that I want to say about about amends, making amends. Is that um, is that I I ask people if there's something that I can do to make it up for them, but ultimately I can't make anybody forgive me for the wrongs that I've done to them, and and I don't I don't mean to blow this out of proportion. I know it's a little thing, but neither do I want to minimize. I don't want to minimize, and I don't want to blow it out of proportion. I want to right-size all of my difficulties today. And, and what I know from what the program's taught me is that, um, you know, if I'm uncomfortable, there is something wrong with me, and I have to address that. I know people in the program who do a written tenth step every day, and I want you to know that I admire those people, that, um, that I think that, that's an incredible way to get in touch with uh, and observe the life that you live. Um, I don't do that. I do spot checks. I do. Um, I, I do reflect at the end of my day how my how my day has gone, and I try and point out to myself what those good things were that I did that I accomplished. And I try and look at the things that didn't go the way I wanted them to do, to go, for whatever reason. But, but what I want to tell you about my time de- deal, I kind of got away from that. What I want to tell you about that is that the next day, after journaling about this whole issue with the PA, what I did was, I was on time three times the next morning. And that's an amazing thing for me to say. <laughs> um, it may not seem like much to you guys, <laughs> but for me to be early on or on time is a big deal for me. 
and and it was funny. There's a guy named Mark who uh, who I I sat with last night, and he told me that the thing that he loves most about AAA meetings is the meeting before the meeting. And I thought, what a cool thing! I've been missing the meeting before the meeting, and um, so maybe I can I can start trying that and seeing. Uh, what kind of example I can set by being at the meeting before the meeting instead of being at the meeting 15 minutes late. <laughs> um, the, um, the thing that I know um, about my isms is that I want to... Um, I, I have to remind myself that what other people think of me is none of my business. I remind myself of that a lot because I can't control what anybody thinks about me. And um, and I don't want all of my behavior to be motivated by the need that they think well of me. I um, Somebody here reminded me of, uh, of a phrase that... Um, that I, I really like, that I learned in Al-Anon, and it's that helpfulness is the sunny side of control. And so I have to watch when I'm being too helpful um, and remember that everybody needs responsibility for their own feelings, just like I have to take responsibility for mine. Um, I've said enough. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs>